Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. I'm going to go ahead and use the lower camera today because we're going to be doing a lot of reading, going over a lot of charts because the BIS just, and I mean just, I mean just today, came out with a new report or new plan for their global central bank digital currency. It's 34 pages. Got it right here in front of me. I've highlighted some notes. We're going to go through it right up on the screen. I'm going to pull up the PDF so you don't have to read my <laughs> my chicken scratch. And uh, we're going to go over the details here. This is going to be a deep dive. Uh, this is not going to be me just talking about this for 10 minutes and giving you the highlights. I'll try to go over the key talking points right away. So if that's what you want, that's what you get. You don't have to watch the whole video. But after that, I'm going to go over a lot of the plumbing, a lot of the mechanics here. And um, I, I was actually contemplating calling this video, I told you so, <laughs> because I mean, I don't get everything right. Man, oh man. I was just talking to Josh about how I remember doing whiteboard videos on central bank digital currencies back in 2019, 2020. And everyone was calling me a conspiracy theorist. Everybody, everybody, everybody. But to me, it is just common sense. It's just like the natural progression. Like, why, why wouldn't they do it? And um, here we go. I, in fact, I, I pulled up just really quickly a video I did, I don't know, like a year, year and a half ago, something like that. So central bank digital currencies by 2024. Yeah, here we go. So anyway, let's get into the meat of it here, guys. This is the report and uh, it's readily available. Josh, if you want to do me a favor and go ahead and put the link to the PDF in the chat, put that in the description. So if people want to read it on their own time, they can do that. Well, let's go and start with these key talking points. Tokenization of money, the assets uh, and assets have great potential, but initiatives, excuse me, to date have taken place in silos without access to central bank money and the foundation of trust. <laughs> oh, the trust that we all have in the central bankers. That's right. That's right. One theme that you will see throughout this entire report is just the total arrogance of the central planners. It is so, when you read something like this, it's so easy to understand their worldview. Like sometimes we sit back and say, well, my gosh, how could all of these people believe that they're the smartest people on the planet Earth and that they should have all the power, the control, because we're all stupid. When you read a report like this, it just oozes, oozes arrogance. And you can totally see just in, in the tone of the report how they just loathe the average Joe and Jane. How to them, they're just plebs that are just useless consumers, right? And that they are all-knowing and that they should be the ones that micromanage the daily lives of everyone on the planet Earth. I mean, that's just plain and simple, but let's keep going here. A new type of financial market infrastructure, a unified ledger. What have we been talking about on this channel? Nonstop, nonstop, Tom, blue in the face. CBDC, CBDC, CBDC is really a central bank ledger system. I've been talking about it on this channel, I've been talking about on the whiteboards. I'm sure you guys have heard me say this thousands of times. Don't focus on the CBDC. It's, it's, it's just, it's like smoke and mirrors. Like a, it's like a diversionary tactic. What a CBDC really is at its core is a central bank ledger system. That's what we're talking about. And here we go. There they start talking about the unified ledger. This could capture the full benefits of tokenization. And they're using tokenization basically as a proxy for them programming the unified ledger and the smart contracts and setting up the rules of engagement, so to speak. They're just using the 
a, a nice little buzzword, you know, tokenization to make it sound real tech savvy and kind of trendy without just coming out and saying, you know, we're using 1984 as a playbook, as well as improving existing processes through the seamless integration of transactions. Unified Ledger could harness programmability. Harness programmability. I wonder who's going to be doing the programming. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to be the plebs or if it's going to be the central planners and authoritarians. So they enable arrangements that are currently not practical, thereby expanding the universe of possible economic outcomes. And another thing that I always say when we're when you're kind of having to decode what the central planners say is you, you can't just read one thing. You've got to read multiple, multiple reports because then you start understanding how they talk. Like I'll go on Twitter a lot of times and I'll say that, you know, it's the Malthusian cult and blah, 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 blah. And they'll say, George, you know, give me proof that, that show me where they say that they're that they pray to Thomas Malthus. I'm like, look, dude, you got to do the research. You just got to go on there and read this stuff. And when you read it, it becomes painfully clear, painfully clear. So if you just this would seem very benign. Right. If they just said the uh, tokenization or tokenized deposits and tokenized assets on a programmable platform, you know, that in and of itself, boy, oh boy, that doesn't sound too bad. And then they could harness programmability. Oh, man, that doesn't sound too bad. But then you get down into the meat of this, which we're going to do in a moment. And what they're referring to specifically is being able to program your deposits, your deposits. So they have a trigger mechanism. And what they talk about specifically are bank runs. So what they want to set up, I mean, they want to set up a lot of things, but using just one example that they use in this report is if your money was on the unified ledger, they could program the ledger to make sure that you couldn't extract your money from a bank if other people were doing, or if too many other people were doing it simultaneously. So think about Silicon Valley Bank. The central planners say, oh my gosh, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. Silicon Valley Bank didn't do anything wrong. It's just those stupid idiots on social media. They just normal bank run. We wouldn't have that stupid Twitter misinformation. We wouldn't have had this banking crisis to begin with. It's all the stupid plebs, never the authoritarians or the central planners, right? So what they think or what they're implying, what they're insinuating is in the future, their balance sheet would be on one ledger. We'll call it the central bank unified ledger. And what would happen is all of your currency units would be on the ledger, but there would be rules of engagement that would be set up by the central planners. So what would happen is if there was X percentage of deposits that would leave Silicon Valley Bank and let's say go to JP Morgan on the unified ledger, remember this is all in one ledger, right? Then what they would do is they would freeze the rest of the deposits and then the central bank could come in with whatever solution they deemed appropriate. This is just one of the many things that they are proposing that would be revolutionary in their eyes, that, that would make the system so much better. And they say this in in in, in such a tone-deaf way. They, they say this and they actually mean it. Like, guys, look at this. We central planners and authoritarians can control your money for you. So we don't have to worry about bank runs in the future because we can just freeze your assets and we can just do a bail-in if we want. I mean, isn't that amazing? This is literally the tone of this report. Keep going. Multiple ledgers, each with specific use case, might coexist. So then they start going off on a tangent, say, well, we could have one unified ledger, but we could have multiple ledgers on the unified ledger and that they would talk to each other through an API. But at the end of the day, all the data and all the control and all the programmability, all the tokenization is controlled by, you guessed it, the BIS 
the global elite, central planners, politicians, authoritarians. Now let's skim through the introduction here. They talk about the history of money. Skip down to this. We've got uh, oh, one thing I wanted to point out in this paragraph is they say the advent of money. I'm going to go ahead and highlight this right here. Advent of money in the form of book entries on ledgers overseen by trusted intermediaries, i.e. banks. So you guys know how I say on constantly on my videos, what is money? Got green pieces of paper, but outside of that, what is it? It's just a, sen- a simple entry on a booklet on a ledger, right? It's a thought abstraction. It doesn't exist. There is no money, just like there's no time. Now we can keep track of time with a clock and we can keep track of who owes who what with a ledger. But all what you think of is money is just simply an entry on a ledger. That's it. That's all the majority of money has been, quite frankly, for centuries. And this is one thing where, you know, obviously I agree with them. Uh, They're just stating pretty much the fact, and and this is just uh, very difficult for people to get their head around. Because like on tonight's whiteboard video, people see money as like a, a gold coin. So the bank lends you that gold coin, you pay the gold coin back, and now all of a sudden that bank has that gold coin as an asset. That's just what they started with. But that's not the way money works. The, the bank creates the money by lending it into existence. So if you pay the money back, there's no longer any money. It's not like if you pay the bank $100,000 because you owe them $100,000, they now have that $100,000 as an asset on, asset on their balance sheet. They do not. They do not because they simply, you pay them by them deducting your account. So they reduce their liabilities. They don't increase their asset. Let's keep going here. So they say today, the monetary system stands at the cusp of another major leap. Following dematerialization and digitalization, the key development tokenization. Again, this is just ignore this word. This is them having the ability to program the unified ledger. And here you go. The process of presenting claims digitally on a programmable platform. Boom, there you go. Now, one thing that I did not foresee that they outline very clearly on this report is their ability to not only keep track of money and information. You guys know we've been talking about that forever, but they also want to keep track of financial assets or assets, period. They want everything on the ledger. They want to know not only uh, how much money you have, They want to know what you buy and they want to know what you own. So if you purchased a car, let's say from your buddy, a thousand dollar beater or whatever it is, that would exist. So, so normally, you know, you get the title and you, they wouldn't even know until you registered your car, but this would, that transaction now would be tokenized. So that car or the, the, the claim on that car effectively would be on this unified ledger. So the central planners would transfer ownership of that car based on that token that was created that is a digital representation of ownership. And so that's one thing I did not foresee. I totally, obviously it's all about money, controlling money, all about data because they gotta give you your social score. But now they wanna take it a step further and include every single asset on the planet on their unified ledger that, by the way, they can program. So if they don't want you to have that asset, you think that's a problem? Absolutely not. In fact, they could program it to alert the police department directly. They wouldn't even have to have a human involved to where if you ordered too much diesel, they didn't like it, then that could trigger something that was programmed in their tokenization. And that would file a report with the police department for them to go and repossess your car because obviously you're not using it in a way that's climate friendly. I mean, this is exactly where we were going with this. And I'm just scratching the tip of the iceberg here. Then, of course, they have to rip on crypto. They say crypto and decentralized finance, DeFi, have offered a glimpse 
of tokenization's promise, but crypto is a flawed system that cannot take the mantle of the future money. Why? Because not only is crypto self-referential, as if bank reserves aren't, <laughs> as if the dollar's not, uh, with little contact with the real world. Okay, what contact with the real world does money currently have? It also lacks the anchor of trust. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, and who doesn't trust Jerome Powell and the central banks? See, here's where you, you have to understand that this is complete propaganda. And here's where they show you their hand. Because remember the red flag there? If it doesn't make sense, there's a reason why. And obviously, this makes no sense whatsoever. If you did a poll of even the average Joe, as far as how much trust you have in the central bank, you would not get high ranks. And so when they state something that they know isn't true, then you know that the whole purpose of this is really to condition you and to present kind of this game plan. So when they execute this game plan, they can convince you that this is for the greater good. This is not something you should be afraid of. Absolutely not. This is something that you should welcome. Yes, we're thrusting tyranny upon you, but you're going to be better for it. Trust us. And throughout this entire report, they always have to revert back by uh, on how we cannot allow the private sector to do this. We cannot use crypto. It can't be this. It can't be that because you just don't have the confidence. Because if we allow this to be in the hands of the private sector or, or DeFi, I mean, heaven forbid, then we're going to get all the terrorists. We're going to get money laundering. We're going to get this and that all of the, the fear tactics that they use, you know, the boogeyman, it's hiding around the corner. They're going to jump out and grab you. So we, we can't allow this to be in the hands of the private sector. No, 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 no. And they just continue on with this obnoxious tone here. The collapse of crypto, faltering progress of other tokenization projects, underlying a key lesson. The success of tokenization rests on the foundation of trust provided by the central banks and its capacity to knit together key elements of the financial system. You see, when I've read so many of this garbage that I can, I actually speak their language now and I can translate it actually pretty easy. So capacity to knit together key elements of the financial system means that they want to centralize everything so they can control everything, including you, your money, and what you do with your life. This capacity derives from the central bank's role at the core of the monetary system. Really, really. So the Fed's balance sheet going back to 2007 was $40 billion in reserves, bank reserves. Yet, we had $7.5 trillion in the United States. We probably had $50 trillion plus globally. You're going to tell me that the cent central bank is at the core of that monetary system? Again, the, 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 the hubris is, is nauseating, right? And again, when they say these things, they're just blatantly false. You, you know definitively that this, these are not serious people from a standpoint of wanting to do what's best for the average Joe and Jane. These are people who, who, who look down on you, that think that you are a, a lower form of human being than they are. And this is their way of taking control because left to the free market, to the plebs, well, it'd be complete disaster. And we need to take control away from them. We need to take power away from them because we know it's for their own good. This is, this is truly their worldview. And it just oozes from this report, like I said earlier. Among its many fun functions, the central bank issues the, economic, the economy's unit of account. Really? The central bank issues that? Or do the commercial banks issue that? 
and ensures the final finality of payments through settlement on its balance sheet. Really? So you're telling me that all the transactions globally in a $50 trillion global economy were settled on the Fed's balance sheets when they had $40 billion in reserves? Really? How does that work? Building on the trust of central bank's money, the private sector uses its creativity and ingenuity to serve its customers, in particular, to issue deposits. So here is where they take all the credit and the glory, and they say, because of us, because of how amazing we are, well, we allow those commercial banks to kind of serve their customers and create deposits. And oh, yeah, I, I guess we would admit that this is the most common form of money held by the public, as they state right here. See, again, whoops, completely contradicting themselves. And this is how you know they're full of S. They're full of, full of stuff. <laughs> You're keeping it kid-friendly. Supported by the regulation, supervision, this two-tiered structure, meaning bank reserves, or meaning base money, broad money, uh, preserves the singleness of money, the property of the payments denominated in a sovereign unit of account settled at par. Okay, this is... Okay, so now the next thing that I had highlighted here is this unified ledger. This is where they start talking about the full benefits of tokenization could be harnessed in a unified ledger due to the settlement finality. Okay, so what are they talking about here? Basically, their view is that settlement is finalized when it's done on the Fed's balance sheet. So your bank transfers a liability to another bank and the Fed takes bank reserves from the transferring bank and puts it down into the account of the bank that received the liability. I'm talking about a deposit. So if you are with Wells Fargo, you transfer $1,000 to your buddy there at Bank of America, then Wells Fargo transfers that $1,000 liability, $1,000 deposit liability, and then the Fed settles on their balance sheet, or they can settle uh, by taking those bank reserves and moving it from Wells Fargo to B of A. Then the transaction is done. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about uh, the finality of settlement. But again, do we need the Fed's balance sheet to settle? Obviously not. Going back to those numbers that I just went over from 2007. Okay, so the next thing I've got highlighted here, they say settlement in central bank money issues the singleness of money and payment finality. And what they're talking about there is that you can settle on the Fed's balance sheet and you know that you're getting the par value for those dollars um, that could be a liability of a commercial bank. Then they say, by having everything in one place, and I wonder who controls that place and who programs that place. <laughs> the unified ledger's uh, setting provides a setting in which broader array of contingent actions can be automatically executed to overcome information and incentive problems. Let me translate that for you. If we control everything, if we control the ledger, if we're able to program, this is the, the central planners and the authoritarians talking, if we control everything, this allows us to set up all of these contingency or contingent actions to be automatically programmed. And let's say these type of smart contracts or these smart deposits, your deposits. So what we can do is we can program the ledger and these transactions can be automatically executed if we have certain rules or if we have certain parameters that are achieved. And what this will allow us to do is overcome information problems. What is an information problem? That means you going, that means you having an account with Silicon Valley Bank and you going on Twitter and you seeing that, oh my gosh, Silicon Valley Bank is having problems. Therefore, you go to Silicon Valley Bank and take out your money. They, see, that is what they're calling an information problem. So 
what they're saying is that you, by you having that information, that creates a problem. And so what we have to do is we, the central planners, we have to set up an incentive that is different from the current incentives that we consider problems. Because right now your incentive would be to take all your money out of Silicon Valley, but we can't have that. Or if in the future we wanted to do negative interest rates, then you would be incentivized to take your purchasing power outside of the banking system. But we can't have that. That would be a information problem. That would be a incentive problem in their mind. So what they're saying is to get rid of all of this misinformation, you having too much information to where you can actually make your own choices and to get rid of these incentive problems. The solution is obviously for us to be able to program the unified ledger. And then we don't have to worry about you being stupid and making decisions that are contrary to our objectives and our abilities to control your life. That is translated for you into normal English. And then what they, what they make this out to look like is like the iPhone, where they would have control of the iPhone and then they would allow developers to build on the system, uh, like, like smartphone apps. They use that as a specific example here. But again, let's just say, and they do this to try to make it seem like, oh, no, no, we're pro-free market. No, we want a private-public partnership. They say that all the time throughout this report. And you guys know that's just code for fascism, economic fascism. That's what I'm referring to. That's all a public-private partnership is. Klaus talks about it all the time. The global elite constantly talk about it, right? And that's what they're hinting at right here. That no, 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 we, no, no, we don't want to control all of this. No, we, we want to inspire ingenuity. And therefore, we're going to build this platform that's open to developers, just like an iPhone. I mean, you love iPhones, right? So if you love iPhones, well, then you're going to love what we're doing. Here's where we get into them showing you their true motives. And we talked about all the kind of the, the vague word salads that just don't make any sense, but they kind of sound good. Here is where they get more specific. Possibilities include new types of deposit contract that bolster financial stability. Huh? You see, so what they do in all of these reports and the World Economic Forum is the exact same. They start off very vague in a, in a way that, you know, kind of, I don't know, that this sounds pretty good. And as they get deeper and deeper into the report, they get more and more and more specific until at the end, a lot of times they come right out and give you examples where you're like, whoa, 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 time out. That, that, that is no good here. That's the no bueno zone. But somehow at the beginning, it sounds really good because they just don't get into specifics. They use all this flowery language to make it sound like it's just going to be amazing. It's going to be just like the iPhone. Remember when they were talking about that before? But now they get a little bit deeper into it. Like I said, they get even more specific as we go down into the report. And what this means, just reiterate, is when you have a deposit at your local bank, now you've got a smart contract that's on the unified ledger that they control. And that smart contract will definitely bolster financial stability Oh, yeah. Why? Because it won't allow you to take your deposit out of the bank. <laughs> That'll definitely increase financial stability, won't it? This is the next section I wanted to highlight. Because one of the things that you guys know I've talked about till I'm blue in the face is not only this Orwellian nightmare, the social score, them being able to control your money, but also them being able to control the extension of credit. And they could do this based on narrative not based on merit. Why? Because the unified ledger would be infinite. The unified ledger would basically 
be the central bank's balance sheet. They can't go bust. So they wouldn't have those pesky restrictions and constraints that a normal bank would where they have to issue a loan and actually have to consider being paid back. And I say this over and over and over again. And again, I get frustrated because people just don't believe me. They say I'm a tinfoil hatter or blah, 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 blah. And this will never happen. Here we go, guys. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. With their public interest mandate, central banks are best placed to establish a common venue for each use case by interlinking with the monetary system. So you say, again, it's a perfect example of them doing this. They start off by presenting an idea that, wow, it's, it's, you know, that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, I don't really know what they're talking about. What on earth is establishing a common venue for the use case by interlocking, interlinking the, the monetary? What is, I don't really know what that means, but boy, I, I think I'd be in favor of that. But as you scroll down, and they get into more detail, you see that what this means is them being able to lend, not based on merit, but based on narrative. In fact, they use certain disadvantaged groups as an example. And they also talk about it. It's unfair that these disadvantaged groups, you guys know the ones that I'm talking about, have less access to mortgages, have less access to loans. And we could see it right there in the data. And the only reason they can't get as many loans as other groups is because they just have lower credit scores. So we should just abandon the idea of a credit score altogether, or we should have a better form, a better system for determining who gets loans and who doesn't. And of course, we can determine that based on, I don't know, some other type of score we give you. I, I don't know what we'll call it. I mean, whatever you do, don't call it a social score because obviously it's not going to be that. I mean... Only China would do that. But it, we, we need to give you some other score. That's, it's not really a credit score, but it would be based on other metrics. Um, I don't know. It, and, but since the unified ledger has all the data and all the information, and we know who owns all of the assets, and we can determine your spending habits and what you're buying, I guess we could probably throw together some sort of AI program that could determine who most deserves the credit and at what interest rate. I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag, but this is basically exactly what they say as we get further down into the report. And here, and you'll see this throughout, I mean constantly, is they always reference back to illicit activities such as money laundering, financing of terrorism, and fraud, as though the government 
isn't the biggest financier of terrorism on the planet Earth. Let's call a spade a spade here, boys. But don't worry about that. Just sweep that one under the rug. All right. So now let's get down into some more detail here. The programmable platforms, we talked about that. They start talking about the tokens. Here's the first graph where the difference between a token and basically an entry in a current ledger would just be that this new entry in a ledger would have rules associated with it. Well, that sounds good. I wonder who would make up the rules. Probably the average Joe and Jane. (laughs) No, 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 no. That would be Klaus. He's the one that's making up the rules. All right, let's skip down to the next graph. And they talk about ramps. And here is where they're explaining how they would basically tokenize all assets. And that would be on the unified ledger. So in the traditional system, what would happen is uh, you go, you, you buy a car or something like that, and that data is now going to live on the unified ledger. So what they would do is they would lock that asset so it cannot be bought or sold. And then they would tokenize that asset so it could be transferred at will you know, on their ledger system and they could control it because this would now be programmed, right? So basically what they're doing is they're taking your car, they're tokenizing it, and then they're let Klaus program your car or program what happens to your car or when you sell it and how much you sell it for, among many other things, I'm sure. So here they talk about how a wholesale CBD is core to functioning of tokenized environment. This is just nonsense mumbo jumbo saying that what we can use are existing bank reserves. As I've said from day one, all a wholesale CBDC is, is simply bank reserves. We already have them. They already exist. What's different is the ledger system, like we've said from day one. But they also talk about how there would be a retail version. And I've got that. Let's see, enhanced. Ah, here's the retail version. But before we get there, I want to point out how they're saying that the, and here's where they start to insert themselves. They say that the BIS Innovation Hub, that's what they would call this or what they're throwing it out there, that they could call this unified ledger, right? Now, global, all countries, all central banks. So the Innovation Hub, in partnership with central banks around the world, stands at the forefront of experimentation with CBDCs and tokenization. So this is where they're asserting that they themselves should be in control of this unified ledger. They're just giving it some nifty name here, Innovation Hub. Now they get down into, so let's think this through. So what they're saying there by talking about wholesale CBDC is having all of the central banks have an account or have their ledger system in the unified ledger system that they control, they program, the global elite. Okay, then what happens is all of the other banks, all the individuals are also within that unified ledger system. So the central planners can see absolutely everything in real time. This gives them the power to create money. Now you say, right, oh, George, they have that power right now. Not really, to a certain degree, but it's more so the commercial banking system, as you guys know very, very well. So what they wanna do is they want to, let's say the Euro dollar system, they see that these banks outside of their purview and outside of their control really dictate the global reserve currency. They create the majority of the dollars. You guys know this from watching my videos. So what they're doing here, when they say wholesale CBDC, just ignore that. What they're doing is they're saying, we want to take over the Euro dollar system. We want to control all of the money because we know right now 
the banks outside of our purview are doing that without us being able to program what they do and micromanage the process. Now they get down to a retail CBDC. So they say a retail CBDC is a digital version of physical cash that can be used by thousands of firms daily. Okay, so great. Cash technically is a liability of whom? That'd be the central bank, currency in circulation. So remember when I always say that your dollar liabilities will be a, uh, or excuse me, your dollar assets be a liability of the central bank. So what they're doing back here is they're going back and forth because on one side of their mouth, they're saying, ah, oh, well, we actually want those deposit liabilities to be still be in the banking system. We just want to unify their ledger. And on the other side of their mouth, they're saying, oh, well, maybe, yeah, but we can control this even better by the issuance of physical cash could now just be digitized. But that would actually require the average Joe and Gene, you had to have an account with the Fed. So, oh, yeah, oh, well, what are we going to do? You want your UBI? That's what they're talking about tokenized deposits. That means them programming your deposits. Now, again, your deposits are just simply, and they don't really exist. There's no money there. It's just simply on the current ledger. It's just an entry, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, whatever it is. It's just stating what the bank owes you. And then you can trade those bank liabilities back and forth for goods and services. They have purchasing power. Why? Because we all agree that they do. Simply a thought extraction a thought abstraction, just like time. But what they're saying is now we could take your deposits and we could tokenize them. And remember what tokenize is code word for, programming. So we could program the ledger to where we would have control over your dollar assets. That's what they're saying here. And they say that this could be designed to resemble the workings of a regular bank deposit in the current system. And again, this is where they completely derail. And you know that Either the person that wrote this, you know, maybe they use chat GPT to write this. I mean, who knows? But this is where the person doesn't, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Again, it's, they, they contradict themselves. So it makes me seem, it makes it seem like, again, this is either propaganda. Or this is just kind of a gateway drug. This is just kind of the way that they introduce this to you. So when they start rolling it out, you're not surprised. And you actually, they want you to believe as though it's a good thing. Um, but it's either that or the person who really doesn't know what they're talking about because they talk about this example of how the current system works. And then they give an example of how the tokenized system works and it's identical. There's, there's no difference. The only difference is instead of a CBDC, they just trade bank reserves. Okay. So now we're getting to the, their experiments. We've got table a, so they're coming out and showing you uh, where they're experimenting with this as speak. So that would be Switzerland, Hong Kong, and Singapore. This is already in place, guys. Oh, excuse me. There's far more participants. Uh, you've got Malaysia, Thailand, UAE, Australia, shocker, South Africa, France. Okay, so now they start talking about how fragile the current system is and how uh, the stability in the system somehow coincides with the volatility in stable coin. So we can't use stable coin. That's what they're doing here. They're just trying to throw stable coins under the bus. So it's like half of this report is them telling you, uh, you know, what their game plan is. And in, in this weird code that they use, we talked about that being vague, making it sound 
happy go lucky, and then getting a little more specific, a little more specific, a lot more specific to then you understand exactly what they're referring to if you read the whole report. So half of it is that, and half of it is them just disparaging uh, stable coins and cryptocurrencies and basically saying how these are not, uh, just don't completely ignore this because this is bad for you. DeFi, you don't want anything to do with it. Um, you know, it doesn't have our stamp of approval. And obviously you can trust us more than anybody. And if we did something DeFi, well, then you wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't have the stamp of approval from the central bank. That's basically the other half of this entire report. I'm just getting caught up here with my notes, guys. Okay, so here is where they talk about the APIs that can link the system. So they give different examples. Uh, the smart contracts, how uh, this could be a, a ledger that could be operated by the current banking system, but it could be included into their uh, unified ledger system, which would be superior in their mind because it would be all inclusive. So the settlement, the clearinghouse, the messaging, all these things would be under one umbrella, it'd be under their control. So it wouldn't have to go from counterparty to counterparty to counterparty to counterparty. But then here is their, you know, Nirvana, fully fledged unified ledger, where they might have something, you know, call it private money, uh, non-money asset partition. That means your car, that means all of your assets. This would all be controlled by these smart contracts that they set up themselves based on their rules and how they want to micromanage your money, your assets, your life. And then you also have the central bank's ledger that would be a part of this where, you know, regardless of whether they want to make the liabilities the central bank or the commercial bank, I think they would make them the central bank because that's what would allow them to do all these harebrained schemes with issuing credit based on narrative and not merit. So here is where they talk about the different layers of this unified ledger. And it's pretty much straightforward. It's uh, they've got the execution environment. So that means them controlling the, the clearing, the settlement, et cetera, and programming how it would work. So if you wanted to send a thousand dollars to Bob and they didn't want you to, well, eh, not going to happen because we control the execution of that transaction. The data environment. We guys know what this is. All of the data. What did you get at Chipotle? Did you order beef? Did you order tofu? All of this would go to their unified ledger. They would spit out your social score using all of that data in real time. And now what I didn't assume, which I probably should have, is they're not only going to have the data from the expenditures, from the money, the transactions, but they're also going to have the uh, data from the assets that are owned by quite literally every individual in the world. Then that is going to be filtered through the central bank. They're going to come up with inf information. They're going to take the external information. And effectively, that's how they're going to manage the whole system. That's how they're going to give you your credit score. And that's the, how they're going to issue credit in the future. So now what they're doing is talking about how a wire transfer works now. And obviously what they're doing is saying, oh my gosh, look at how inefficient this is. All these counterparties and no central planner to control everything. You know, it's the exact same argument that they use for Gauze Bank in Russia in 1922. Why should we have all these banks when we could just have one and it just be so streamlined? And, and, and by the way, one thing that they talk about throughout this entire report that I find just obnoxiously ironic is how important privacy is. And their argument is that 
well, this needs to be on the unified ledger because then we can control the privacy and you don't have to worry about people having this information that you don't want to have this information as if we want the central planners to have this information. You see, but they never address that. They never address that there could be any downside to a government entity or, or someone that's outside of the government, some sort of dictator, some sort of megalomaniac having your data. They, they never, ever, ever address the downside of that. They always address it as though, well, you have to be concerned about your privacy in the hands of other people other than us. So this, you guys, again, you probably know this from watching my videos. You just go to your bank. Uh, they adjust the account. They make the payment order, the acknowledgement. They've got, there's a bunch of parties involved sometimes. You know, if it's on the same bank's balance sheet, then it's super, super easy, which is why uh, it would be very easy if they consolidated everything onto one ledger, because then it most likely would be on one balance sheet, that being the Fed's balance sheet. And exactly what I said. So it's just all, all that transaction that you saw there, instead of having multiple parties, now it just has one party, one ledger. Here, oh, actually, I think I might have missed it here. Sorry, guys, bear with me. I just want to make sure. Ah, okay. Nope, didn't miss it. All right. So this is where they start talking about the programmability. And so you can have all of these smart contracts that are on the ledger. And, of course, they control them. And they see exactly what's happening. So in this example, you would have a buyer. And that buyer would go through the bank, they would create a smart contract, and this would be for a supplier. Okay, great. You got supplier one, supplier two, and they're going to create, they're going to ship, looks like a computer or something like that. So it's going to go from the supplier two, it's going to go on a ship, they're going to assemble the parts, and it's going to go from supplier one down to the buyer. And what we can do here is the buyer can just simply set up a, a smart contract with the BIS with the central planners and the authoritarians that states that they're effectively going to take money out of their account when these goods are delivered. How do they know when they're delivered? Oh, well, that's easy. The ship's GPS data would be instantly a part of, you guessed it, the unified ledger. So now the BIS would not only control the money, they would control the assets. Not only would they have all of the data from all the transactions, but they would have the locate. They would have the data from every single shipment and where that shipment was in the world, and they would be able to GPS track every single shipment. Now, if they can GPS track every single shipment, what else can they GPS track? Let's just say for a moment that they've got a smart contract that your bank has with you. So, if you lease a car then they're going to penalize you if you drive over 10,000 miles a year. But that smart contract needs the information. So this is easy. All we'd have to do is put a GPS locator on your car, and then every single mile you drive and where you drive will all go into the smart contract that's where on the unified ledger that just happens to be controlled by the global elite. Now... We get more into the details. Remember at the beginning, they kind of give us this word salad that sounds good, but then it's like, oh, wait a minute here. I didn't realize that's what you're talking about. Data can obviate the need for collateral and improving credit scoring models. Data. Hmm. What kind of data that would be? Maybe how much beef you ate, how much diesel you used, if you were wearing your mask. That's all data. And remember, they're going to put a GPS in your car. And that goes into the unified ledger. 
So that would obviously be data that they would use to improve credit scoring models, i.e. determine who gets credit, who doesn't, and at what interest rate. And do you think for a moment the entity that changed their logo to a rainbow flag to virtue signal how woke they are won't leverage the unified ledger to push a woke narrative? I mean, who are we kidding here? Of course they will. This is their nirvana. This is their dream. This is their, their, not only does this check all the boxes of what they could do with, my goodness gracious, controlling the population from a standpoint of mal, uh, Malthus, uh, eugenics, let's talk about that, but also from the uh, standpoint of being able to control the extension of credit and determine who gets money, who doesn't i.e. take that out of the hands of the free market, centralize it, and therefore you could centralize the entire global economy. Last time I checked, that would be Marxism. So what this allows them to do is achieve their Marxist utopia, which is breaking down the entire system. Everything that we hold to be a basic truth has to be broken down, whether that's the family, I mean, we talked about this the other day, whether that's the family, whether that's the premise that you should work hard, maybe that's the premise that we should treat people as individuals and judge them based on their character. All of that has to go. Gone. Belief in a higher power, gone. The unified ledger is the higher power. And according to the World Economic Forum, according to Harari, that higher power should be artificial intelligence. That's where this is all going. And if you don't think they're woke, look at what they're using here in this chart. Ah, racial minority, non-minority. So I wonder if racial minority includes Asians. Rhetorical question. I can guarantee you it doesn't. Because if it did, it would be way higher than the blue line. <laughs> oh, so what they're saying here is look at this discrepancy. Traditional credit scores are worse at predicting default for disadvantaged segments of the population. So what we need to do is incorporate a social credit I don't call it a social credit score, obviously. Not going to be a social credit score. We would never do what the Chinese Communist Party does. No way. We're not, we're not inflicting tyranny. So this is when they're showing you their cards. They always tend to do it later down in the report, as you can see. Ah, yes, here we go. And you guys obviously knew this was coming. Another use case is green finance. The BIS Innovation Hub projects Genesis Illustrate, Project Genesis Illustrate, some of the benefits of tokenization smart contracts. The projects involve a platform from which an investor can download an app and invest in any tokenized government bonds that fund a green investment. Over the bonds life cycle, smart contracts allow the investor not only to see accurate or accrued interest, but also track in real time how much clean energy is being generated and how far carbon emissions are being reduced as a result of the investment. So if they can give you that information about the investment, then obviously they're going to have that information about you. And I can assure you that if they have their way, they are going to include a carbon credit score within your social score, whatever they call that. And I can also guarantee you that everyone's carbon score is going to be publicly available. So we can see the people who are destroying the planet. We can see the people who just based on their own selfishness is putting the jeopardy of the human race or is putting the human race in jeopardy of complete extinction. What type of sick individual would do that? And any individual that would do that 
Do they deserve the job they have? Don't they deserve to be publicly shamed and humiliated? Do they deserve to have credit? Do they deserve to pay a higher interest rate? Do they deserve to even drive a car? Do they deserve to have a house? Well, if we're willing to put someone in jail for attempted murder, then why would we not put someone in jail for attempted genocide, which is exactly what you're doing by driving your diesel truck and eating too much beef? I think, oh, we got on an hour. I think that's enough. So basically, Josh, please do put up that, that link so everyone can read the full report, which I strongly suggest doing. But uh, the Reader's Digest version is it's exactly what we've been talking about for the last three years. Exactly. It's almost like they've been watching my whiteboard videos and using that as a game plan. I, it's all, uh, in a weird way, I, I feel like I've been giving them ideas that they're using against us. <laughs> because it's exactly, exactly what they're planning to roll out. So one, another thing that I got wrong here is remember I said that currently the, uh, it is illegal for the Fed to have deposit accounts for non-bank entities. That is true. But you can see with the unified ledger that they're working around that. They're trying to bring all of those ledgers onto the one ledger. They control everything. So technically, your deposit might not be a liability of the Fed. It might still be a liability of JP Morgan, even though in practice, it's all one and the same. So how do we push back against this? That becomes the, the main question here. Honestly, I need to think about it because them wanting to control the assets, them basically putting a GPS locator on everything and having that data also go into the what I used to call the brain cloud, which is just basically the, the hub or the unified ledger. I got to think about that one. So I'm not saying that, that we are doomed. Absolutely not. We never are. And I think that if enough people come together that we will win. At the end of the day, all we have to do is just say no, right? But as far as some detailed steps as to what you can do, I, I need to think about it. So on that note, guys, enjoy the rest of your evening. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.